entrepreneurial. Leadership. Intellectual. This is the Cultural Connections Podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Brian Ives, and I am the producer and host of the Cultural Connections Podcast. Before I introduce our guest today, I want to remind all of our viewers that we are recording this episode live on Friday, October 7th, 2022. This episode is being live streamed to Facebook, so therefore, if you have a question today for our guest while we are live broadcasting, uh, please feel free to comment below and we will answer your questions live. We are monitoring Facebook throughout the duration of the podcast. Even if we are, if you're watching a rebroadcast of this episode on another platform and you have a question for our guest, feel free to comment from the platform you're watching or if you're listening, you can email your questions and we'll, uh, at a later time and you can get your questions answered still. We'll be sure to forward them on to our guest and get them answered just for you. But right now we're live on Friday, October 7th, 2022. And today we are kicking off season two of the Cultural Connections podcast, and we couldn't be doing it in a better way. We are joined by a global Renaissance businesswoman, Sarah Smithor. What a great story we have to share with you. From her childhood on a working farm in upstate New York to her work with social entrepreneurs providing system-changing leadership, Sarah Smithor, PhD, has been guided by key values and principles rooted in building community and leadership through extensive local national and global relationships. Her journey has included uh, included uh, founding, leading and advancing organizations and the capacities of individual capacity of individuals through the field of education, effective leadership and entrepreneurship. In her roles as a founder, CEO, coach and higher education faculty member. Thank you so much for joining me today to kick off season 2 of the Cultural Connections podcast. Well, thank you, Brian. I'm happy to be here and happy to see you in this uh, in this venue. Yes, thank you so much. Well, let's get right to it then as we start today. And again, if you have questions, if any, uh, if you're watching from home and you have questions during the duration of the podcast, please feel free to comment below on uh, here and I'll be monitoring for Facebook today to take your questions. But to begin, as I always do with all of our guests, uh, tell us, let's start with you telling our viewers a little bit about your background. Well, thank you, Brian. You mentioned that uh, I was born and raised on a working farm in upstate New York. And one of the things I thought as I was preparing for this conversation with you is to look at what were the values, what were the principles, I guess, that I developed as a child, one of four, on a working farm uh, in upstate New York. Because they really shaped who I am and what I am and what I, what I um, ventured to do throughout my life. Not that I had any great grand plan, because when I was growing up, the great plan, great plan was, well, you know, at some point, maybe I'll have, be married and have children, and I'll complete my high school education and then get a college education. But I wasn't quite sure how where that would go. And also, you need to understand that in the era in which I was growing up, uh, uh, women weren't really seen to have professional roles. 
And so that was, that really wasn't something that was in my, in my vision of my future. So I guess I go back to, you know, what did I learn on a working farm? One was an, a work ethic that's been with me throughout my life. I, uh, I don't know how not to work. And it's not that I don't have fun because I have fun, but I have fun while I'm working. And there's a book called Flow that was written by Mike Sent Me High, uh, who's now passed, but a great scholar of, of, of the human spirit and human development. And uh, if you're in flow, it's that it doesn't matter if you're working, it's that you enjoy being where you are and what you're doing. So a work ethic has always been a part of me because that was part of working on a farm. The support of family is another piece. My mother, my mother was legally blind. She wasn't because of very, very, very poor eyesight. And what that meant to me was that I needed to have a leadership role in the family. Even as a third child, my brothers were older and I had a younger sister, but my mother, even though she was legally blind and couldn't drive, uh, she she took the school bus to go teach children, and her quest was to help build children and the capacity of their lives to be what they what they needed to be and could be. So I learned all kinds of responsibilities when my when I was a kid. I started uh, preparing meals for my fam for the family at nine years old, which is why I love to cook. And part of the bookcase in the back of me is cookbooks, uh, so, because I really love to cook. And then another piece was creativity. We didn't have the financial resources for the kinds of toys that my kids had, the kinds of things that kids today have. Um, so we created our own entertainment, our own spaces, our own means to find joy, no matter what the season or the place. And so creativity was a critical part of how you survived and thrived on a farm. And resilience. If one way didn't work, we'd find another. It just adaptability, resilience and adaptability. You just figure out, well, that didn't work. Okay, well, let's try this. How do we, how do we make this work? Right. And responsibility, and that's back to family. We all had responsibilities. If one of us didn't fulfill whatever we were to do, then it impacted the whole family. And in fact, it impacted everything we did. Nature. I love it. I value it. And I find peace and renewal in nature. And we had 220 acres and I could wander wherever and ride a horse and do run with my dog. And I love nature. So I don't really, I'm not really a city folk. I'm right now I'm living in one, but I'm really a country folk that likes to go back to nature. And then life. When you're on a farm, you see life and birth, but you also see death. And you see the transitions in between. And so you really understand that life is a transitional process. It's a cyclical process. It's not go, get here and then it's over. It's what did we, you know, what did that cycle teach me? How do I move that into the next cycle and build on that? So those are my kind of lessons. Those are my lessons. And as a result, building the values and principles for my life. Wow. Well, I mean, it's amazing. And they're great principles. So definitely, I would say to live by. 
let's jump into you've had a fascinating career that's really jumped all over the place. Let's start with your work um, on the with the basis of moving into the social sector work of education. Uh, how did this all develop? What and how, how has it? Let's let's talk about how it is changed. I mean, because especially in, with modern day, in modern day where we are now, technology is changing with us. How has the educational landscape changed and how has it changed over the years with your career? <clears throat> well, uh, again, going back to a childhood or maybe early teen experience of reading, reading a quote that was at the time identified as anonymous, and I'm sure it was, uh, but it said, if you're not learning, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you're dying. And the way I interpreted that is that if you know, if you're not growing, you need to understand that there's no treading water in life, that you're either growing or else you're you're becoming stagnant and not moving forward in a way that we all are intended to do. So education has been a critical aspect of my life. My Both of my parents were educators as well. So looking at how has it changed well, technology certainly has changed everything. Uh, it's removed barriers, it's removed walls, it's removed boundaries that existed before, like you can't do this or you can't do that, or you could if you were over there, but you can't do it here. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore with education. But I think one of the basics that never has changed, and it's again, looking at a principle of life, is that Everything is about relationships. And in learning, it's about creating an environment where everyone is, where I see it is everyone is a learner, everybody's a teacher. So everyone brings into a classroom, even children, little children, bring into the classroom a set of assets, something that they can teach as well as something that they can learn about. So I don't know, as uh, is, is that basis, basic part of education has changed? It's about understanding the people who are part of your teaching learning experience and that you can learn from them as well as they learn from you and the resources that you provide to them in a classroom. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I, I think it's especially with the in modern day and how we've seen so much change in society. I think it definitely, I mean, it, it all comes back together full fold. Um, moving along here, let's let's talk about the fact here as well. You've also done a lot of a, a lot of work with um the on leadership and how how that has also been. And how leadership and, and connect the two leadership and education together. How do you connect the two there? Well, it's it it was something that that I naturally evolved evolved to, and I'm not sure I can explain why. Perhaps it goes back to the leadership I had to take as as a child and growing up on the farm. But I always found myself as a young adult in leadership positions, so I. What I did was to evaluate, not that I had any education in leadership, it was what works, what doesn't work, what motivates people, what, what engages people in a meaningful way, how do we, how do we provide that kind of uh, growth for people that 
as needed, whatever your setting uh, is. And so how that's evolved in terms of my study is that um, I, I've been working with the Connective Leadership Institute and um, the, in, the instruments that we use within that. And that model is rooted in, in a foundational piece that it's all leadership is about behaviors. It's how you behave. It's how you use yourself as an instrument, depending upon the situation or the context that you're part of. So that's a piece of my leadership growth and advancing in terms of leadership within organizations, executive leadership, academic leadership. Another path that leadership has taken me on is my work in undergraduate education. I was visiting professor and also the director of the Kravis Leadership Institute in Claremont, California at Claremont McKenna College. And what, what drew me there was the opportunity to offer to young adults the experience of understanding leadership, effective leadership, toxic leadership, if you will, uh, and being able to discern what is the difference between effective leadership and toxic leadership, and knowing that uh, if you have those values of, of openness, of adaptability, of caring for people, that you're not going to be an autocrat and you're not going to create toxic situations uh, for, for those who are working with you, no matter whatever your, your profession is. So the Kravis leadership was, was a very important piece of my working experience and teaching experience at Claremont McKenna College. But then another route that that leadership took me in is with social entrepreneurs. And a, a lot of the work that I've done over the years has been in the social sector and working with nonprofit or social sector organizations. And I grew um, some, a level of disappointment, I guess, in some of the nonprofits that seemed to band-aid a situation rather than create a a system change that would really advance humankind in a way that they needed to advance in order to take control of their own lives rather than to be uh, subject to somebody else, you know, controlling their lives. So my work with social entrepreneurs, um, while the model I worked with was the connective leadership model of behaviors, uh, really led me to study how they were how they achieved success through their leadership. And that was really a fascinating journey because it pulled all my pieces together. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. Absolutely. Um, let's talk more about your work. Actually, before we go any further, I do want to remind our viewers at home, that are watching us live right now that we are recording this episode. This year, watching the Cultural Connections podcast. We're live on Friday, October 7th, 2022, talking with a on the season two premiere of the Cultural Connections podcast with a global renaissance woman. Can't get better than that. Sarah Moore, <laughs> who is joining us today. Let's continue our, if you have a question that you would like answered on the podcast, please feel free to comment below. I'm monitoring Facebook here off to the side and we will definitely take your questions if you have one while we are live. 
let's continue to talk about now your work with Claremont. You've done, you, you did a lot of work there. A lot of your career was spent there. What was the biggest impact of your career that you had there, biggest part to your career that you had at Claremont? Well, um, I had the, uh, I would say, honor of and uh, pure joy of working at the Drucker School at Claremont Graduate University. And uh, that became, that was prior to my work at Claremont McKenna College. <clears throat> and I worked with Peter Drucker and uh, I, I studied under him and also, uh, and had the, had the pleasure of having him in my classroom. In fact, he was in my classroom. His, his last presentation or engagement with a, with students was in my classroom before he passed in 2005. He was, he was a brilliant man who really understood people, organizations, and really understood um, what was happening in the world in a way that people called him prescient, uh, prescient uh, but he was actually looking out the window, as he would say. I don't read the future. I just look out the window. Excuse right. me. Sure. So um, I had. It was a. It was real. It was a real honor, and it was before I had a PhD. I had co-edited a book with a colleague uh, through the Kravis Leadership Institute, but before. I was teaching at uh, Claremont McKenna College. I was one of the founding members of the Kravis Leadership Institute back in 1994 with Henry Kravis. And uh, it, I worked with, with, uh, with a colleague there, Ron Reggio, and he, had, uh, he and I had put on a conference uh, for social sector folk. And uh, through that, we published a book and that was what gave, gave me entree to teach at the Drucker School. Otherwise, I would never have been able to have nice. taught there without a PhD, uh, which is one of the reasons why I pursued a PhD, because it, it gives you entree to a world that uh, is pretty diverse and gives you plenty of opportunity. But I loved working there and I loved working with graduate students there because I felt like I was helping to change lives and helping them to change systems. Absolutely, no, that's that's fascinating to hear. In, in addition to leadership, in addition, which seems to be a lot of the focus around the work with Claremont, you also have focused a lot of your career on building community. Let's talk about that for a minute. How <clears throat> that really shaped your career like, give us some examples of what define, of defining building community is meant in shaping your career. Well, that actually was the earliest uh, entry into a professional role is working with community-based organizations. And I was the first, I was the first female and youngest person to lead a, what was called a United Way. Uh, fundraising campaign, raising over $2 million. And uh, that really gave me the opportunity to build a, a, almost a 17-year career within that United Way system that moved me to different communities from New York to Texas to Pennsylvania to Los Angeles, where 
I was a vice president of an organization that was raising $90 million a year for organization. But what was at the root of all that was that uh, understanding the kind of the three pillars of our democracy, of business, uh, the social sector and government, that without the social sector, without, and, and de Tocqueville talked about this in the 1800s when he studied the United States and what was it that made our system different. And it was really this social sector piece that was all involved, that was involved in building community of identifying what community needs were and how did they build organizations and systems that supported those needs. And they did them on a voluntary basis, not because they were getting paid, not because there were government had some role in it or business a role in building those, but they did it as volunteers. So I was fascinated with that. And then, um, so I felt like Without the strength of that sector, the business the business sector was going to move on its own. The government sector was going to be without strength in that sector, that that was going to weaken our system of democracy. So that's where I, that's that's the wedge that I drove in terms of building a career, <clears throat> in building community organizations that serve community, and supporting individuals. One of the people that I have loved reading, and, and there's a book called On Leadership by John Gardner. He talks about um, in a community, individuals develop identity and a sense of belonging. And he discusses in the book uh, what happens when there's a disintegration of community. Hitler was one of those that, that thrived on disintegration of community. And we're seeing evidence of some of that today. And so this whole democratic system of being rooted in building community is a critical element of what we have today and what we need in the future. So that's why I then moved from being uh, an employee or running a nonprofit organization like that to then being a consultant where I could help to help other leaders and other organizations develop the strength they needed to serve the communities they had a mission to serve. Yeah, that's incredible. It, it's and it's truly important, obviously, especially in this day and age. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, continuing, we're, before we continue on the podcast, once more time, I want to remind our viewers that are just tuning in with us that you are watching the Cultural Connections podcast. We are live today here on Friday, October 7th, 2022, talk, on the season two premiere of the Cultural Connections podcast, talking with a global renaissance woman, Sarah smith Orr, who has fascinating stories to share with us today. And uh, we are thrilled to have her. And again, if you have questions you would like to have answered during the broadcast today and you're watching here with us on Facebook, please feel free to comment below. I'm monitoring Facebook here off to the side and we'll be glad to answer your questions. Let's move on here. Besides your own career, which has been a fascinating career, you also have very interesting stories to share of the fact that your husband worked under secretary of the, uh, was a secretary under secretary of the United States Air Force during the Reagan administration. Fascinating. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Well, I wasn't uh, a part of his life when he was the Secretary of the United States Air Force. I certainly was a part of his life afterwards and um, and the stories that he told. And I was able to um, engage with uh, the leadership of the United States Air Force and certainly uh, had an opportunity to meet President Nancy Reagan and um, be a part of the world that he was a part of. Uh, I think one of the things that that I walked away, and I met him through, by the way, my community work, because he was also a community leader and had been a community leader in Los Angeles before he moved into his work with Ronald Reagan, both uh, at the state level as well as the national level. But um, the one thing that I think that I saw and experienced that I think is worthy of sharing is the expectation of ethical behavior. He led the Air Force uh, in a way that he, he was, I would call him their greatest cheerleader. He if you were to go into the Pentagon today and look at his portrait hanging into the in the Air Force section, you would see him in a flight jacket and a white scarf, not in a suit, a business suit like most all the almost all the others are in. But he felt that he needed to represent the Air Force in a way that they would recognize him as a part of what they cared about. And therefore, he never flew commercial when he was on Air Force business. He visited every every uh, base globally. Uh, he um, believed that ethical behavior was the most critical element. And then caring for the people that you work with, regardless of who they are, where they are, where they come from, uh, what their roles were. He was a champion of women, for example. And I would love to talk about women in leadership next, but uh, he was a champion of women. He was the one who authorized women and pro provided the gate, you know, the open door for women to become what they call first seaters, not just second seaters. First seaters are the pilots, the second seaters are the co-pilots. Uh, so he's the one that opened the door in the United States Air Force for women to be the pilots who today are flying supersonic planes, are, are doing everything that uh, their male colleagues are doing. So it, and yes, there are stories about that he shared with me about uh, the days with uh, the Reagans and, and the state as well as nationally. Um, I'm not sure that they're the ones that I want to, you know, it's it's not really the mission of this podcast to do that. But uh, he he Reagan was a very human person. Um, he was a very authentic person. And I think that's another leadership lesson the authenticity and my late husband Vern was very authentic. He was, he just, he was who he was. And uh, he didn't uh, establish an authoritative kind of role that 
one would be uh, concerned about what he'd say or what he'd do, you know, in terms of decisions about people. Absolutely. So uh, that's that's my story about that. Well, it's fascinating, and it, it just continues to show the expansive of of your of, of your background. It's just it's incredible to hear all these different stories. Again, just one more time, reminding our viewers that are just tuning in with us, we are live here on the season two premiere of the Cultural Connections podcast. We are live on Friday, October 7th, 2022 on Facebook. If you have a question for Sarah, who is our guest today, Sarah Smith or, Smith or a global renaissance woman with fascinating stories to share, please feel free to comment below here on Facebook and we'll do our best to get them answered during the broadcast. You mentioned, which is a great segue into our next topic about is woman in leadership. And I think especially in today, in today, especially in society, we're seeing such a rise in women taking leadership roles more than ever before. We we see here just in the United States alone, the we have our first female vice president of the United States of America. Incredible changes that we've never seen, haven't seen really ever for the in the history of this country. What is your take on the growth of women taking leadership in um, all around the world, let's say, not just the United States? Well, the United States is behind the, <laughs> they're behind and moving forward. Oh, and that's true. Uh, I did a study on, on, on women and, and it was rooted in a chapter I was writing for a book called Boardroom Realities. And it was about corporate boards. And I was asked to do a chapter on women in the boardroom. So I did a lot of research and found that Finland, as an example, uh, in the 60s may, began to introduce legislation uh, that would uh, create an equal platform for women. And this is going back to community. Uh, to serve in, in elected roles, legislative roles, uh, and higher um, on an equal basis with men. And their, their objective was to provide 50-50 uh, representation. So they started that, and it was legislation that created the pathway for women to move into leadership roles in Finland. And also later uh, to have legislation that required businesses to have a minimum of 35% women, women representation in leadership roles on corporate boards. So, you know, the United States has been behind on this. I also just going back to my life experiences, uh, because I was involved in business and running organizations and startups uh, uh, during a period when women weren't doing as much in those roles, and particularly in the field that I was in, uh, I, I felt the, the um, bias. I felt the glass ceiling clearly uh, because... Uh, I could only just go so far. And there was this patronizing kind of behavior about, oh, you're a nice, you're nice, you're a nice girl, you know, you'll right. do good, you know, we'll, we'll support you, you know, we'll help you. And it wasn't as if I couldn't help myself. It was that that's how you got through. So all of that really uh, 
motivated me to spend much more time in supporting women. And one of the things I did was to uh, be the founding executive director of an organization, statewide organization in California that's now almost 30 years old. Uh, I hate to say, it's like, look at me. Uh, but at any rate, uh, it's called Leadership California. And by tying my leadership and my education piece together, <clears throat> as well as supporting uh, women, uh, Leadership California is an organization that is, has an educational platform and program for women leaders in the state. And uh, we, it was a wonderful, wonderful program. I was just passionate about it. I ended up um, living my admonition that, that it, when, when, it's, when you've outgrown something, it's time to move on. Don't hang on until you're no longer wanted. Uh, so I, I worked myself out of a job and, and helped to find a, a successor. But, uh, and successors, there have been a number of successors since I left. But the, the, the support of women in leadership is really critical. And more recently, I was involved in a nascent pilot project of studying women. And these are women that I have had in the classroom that I've worked with, uh, interviewing them in terms of, did their leadership change during the pandemic? If there's, when there's crisis, how do women lead? And that was certainly a crisis. And it was fascinating to um, find the results. I mean, they each the women that I interviewed, if you were to, in fact, I narrowed it down to what's called the four A's of the kind of leadership behaviors they needed to utilize. One was authenticity. They had to be authentic. Authentic, authentic. They had to be open and vulnerable, and uh, uh, you know, speak to their vulnerabilities, the kind of fear that they had about what was happening in the pandemic, uh, and then be accessible. That is, be accessible in a way that uh, those with whom they were working, male or female, felt that they could go to them and be open about their concerns, about their fears, about where, where what was happening with their organization, this whole deal of, of Zoom, uh, you know, and running. people running organizations on Zoom. And, and that accessibility included understanding what the needs of family were with, you know, dogs and kids running behind them and, you know, their employees or those with whom they work. <laughs> and, and not being judgmental about it, but being open for that. Right. Uh, another piece was adaptability. They had to adapt when, when people said, I just can't, I can't start meeting at six o'clock in the morning because my kids get up the, you know, my husband has to do this. And so we only got one computer. So how do you adapt in that kind of environment? That's so true. adaptability, accessibility, uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember my fourth one, uh, accountability yeah. had to be accountable. And they had to hold themselves accountable for their behavior as well as those that they were working with. So I'm, I'm just thrilled with what women are doing and the, the roles that they're filling and 
um, my whole passion about supporting them as they as they balance a lot of things in their lives, uh, much more than many men have to balance in their lives. Absolutely. It's very, very true. You're right on on that. Uh, before we continue one more time, I do want to remind all of our viewers that are tuning in with us that once again, we are live here on the Cultural Connections podcast for the season two premiere. And we are live on Friday, October 7th. And we're talking with a global renaissance woman, Sarah Smith, or who has been sharing really just life-changing life stories to us that are so important to have an understanding on. And we're so thrilled to have her join us. If you are watching right now live on Facebook with us and you have a question you would like answered, please feel free to comment below on the on Facebook here. And we will, of course, get those questions to you live. Uh, let's move to a different area here now. This is as if you don't do enough, <laughs> you also are involved in many public and private boards. Let's talk about some of that involvement and, and how that relates to your career. Well, and how it relates to the things that I'm passionate about. Absolutely. Right? Yes, correct. Uh, so I've been involved in community-based organizations, which have been really important in my career. Um, the ones that I've been passionate about have been, for example, I've been on the board of the National Women's Hall of Fame. And two weeks ago, we inducted people like uh, Michelle Obama, uh, Judy Chicago, um, Indra Nuri, and uh, a meeting, you know, and uh, Hillary Clinton was there. And that it was just, you know, a wonderful, wonderful experience. And it was held in Santa Seneca Falls, New York. Like, who where is Seneca Falls, New York? <laughs> well, it's the north end of of one of the Finger Lakes. What are the Finger Lakes? Well, they're these lakes that have been that were formed by glaciers way back when. And they look like fingers if you look at the map. But at any rate, huh. Seneca Falls is where the women's movement began in 1848 and uh so there's a lot of loads of history there and the hall as we call it the national women's hall of fame is in this building that was the um it was called the seneca knitting mill and it was a business a weaving um uh, they were producing cotton products um uh, that uh the the owners were abolitionists so they were very supportive of the women's movement and what was happening with that at any rate um you asked me a question that i got off on what was your question <laughs> <laughs> absolutely the question was to talk about the, the public and private boards oh yeah so on. i've been on that board i've been on that board i'm not on the board anymore but i'm one of the judges so uh so that i get to review the history of all these amazing women that have been under the radar uh that people don't know about often i right. mean they're the ones that i mentioned but then there are ones that i haven't mentioned uh that that were part of the history and building the creating the fabric of this country in this democracy and and whether they were business women or like harriet tubman one who supported equal rights and and the freedom of slaves so 
um, that's one of the things that I love doing. I'm also on a board right now that I am, I'm a trustee for the New Mexico School for the Arts, which is all about, and it's a statewide charter school, but it's about unleashing the creativity of these kids in remote parts of New Mexico, uh, as well as more urban parts, uh, releasing the creativity in a way that also raises their academic performance. So this organization, the kids, the, the first filter for interviewing kids is their creativity, is what are you passionate about? What art form are you passionate about? What have you done with that? Then they go to the academics. Well, often kids, and particularly in rural areas or maybe in low-income families, maybe have not performed as well academically. By the time they graduate, there's 97% graduation rate wow. and an equal percentage rate of college entrance and acceptance. That's incredible. Two of our students, two male dance, dancers, just graduated from Juilliard. They had full scholarships for their four-year experience at Juilliard. So I just, I love being able to, why do I do this? Uh, again, it goes back to the, this is part of this system of, of volunteerism, of creating opportunities for people to meet their needs from a community perspective. Uh, that strengthens our country and and helps to build lives that's it's truly incredible really really is um we are already reaching towards the end of the podcast already it's amazing i always say every time i do an episode it's amazing how fast time flies by with the last few minutes that we have here let's talk about what would you believe is the greatest achievement in your professional and your personal life you know, I'm not sure I can come up with the greatest single achievement in terms of her If there's multiple, that's okay too. <laughs> uh, but, but what I can say is what I realized probably in my early 40s, and my first husband committed suicide, and, that, and that's when our two sons were, one was a teenager and one was just 12. <clears throat> And that had a profound impact on my life in terms of what, how do, how do I communicate? How do I establish relationships? And how do I find meaning in my life, which for whatever reasons he didn't find in his. Right. And, uh, and I loved actually your aunt coining me as the Renaissance woman because, uh, because I looked, I looked it up and I thought, oh, that's a great fit because it's all about uh, this recreating yourself, renewing yourself. <clears throat> that's to me is the most important thing that I learned and that I could pass on about leadership is you first of all need to lead yourself and you need to find the ways to renew yourself, to re-energize yourself, to recreate yourself, if you will, uh, to move on to the next chapter of your life, taking those things that have worked for you, letting go of the things that didn't work, letting go of the, the, the toxic kinds of things that may have injured you in one way or another, 
and say, what, what, how do I squeeze the blessings out of those bad experiences or difficult experiences? And I, I had a spiritual mentor who would say, squeeze the blessings out of it, squeeze the blessings. <laughs> it's like, oh, I just want to get out of here. But, uh, <laughs> but when you really look at the blessings and take those blessings forward and create a, a re constant renewal of yourself, spending time to uh, how whatever your spiritual or beliefs are, taking that time to feed yourself and feed your soul in a way that you can continue your growth because it's all about growing, not dying. And yes, we have a, we die in this human life, but we need to live to the fullest in this life as well. And that's about being true and authentic to ourselves. Absolutely. What a great way to uh, get to the end of our podcast. Truly, this has been an incredible conversation. We, we've gone all over. It's truly incredible. <laughs> and I am, I, what a great, we could not have kicked off season two of the Cultural Connections podcast in a better way. So thank you. Again. Very generous. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for joining me. And again, to our viewers, if you have questions or comments or would like to submit future ideas for the podcast, please feel free to get in contact with me directly by email. You can email me directly at brianives at gmail.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-I-V-E-S at gmail.com. We thank you for watching and joining us here on the Cultural Connections podcast, and we'll see you again soon for the next episode of the Cultural Connections podcast. Thanks thank for you. Watching. Thank you again for watching this episode of the Cultural Connections podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch this episode again in its entirety on our YouTube channel. This podcast is also available on listening platforms Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Radio Public, and New TV. Thanks again for watching this episode of the Cultural Connections podcast.